maybe if you want to get on the bad side of an Italian cook, you can ask for Alfredo sauce. Yeah, right after you break the noodles in half and put them in the pot. (laughs) You're listening to Take Off to Travel, a weekly dive into the travels of your hosts, Colin and Olivia. We're going on a world trip for 13 months with just $25,000 each. Each week, you'll hear our tales, tips, and tricks as we explore the world. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Take Off to Travel. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Olivia. And today we're going to talk about some questions we get asked, culture shocks, do's and don'ts, that kind of stuff. I hope you're excited. So probably our last podcast in Florence. Overall, just started off overall, how have you felt about Florence? Oh, I mean, I loved it. To be fair, I think I thought I was going to love it before we came, which definitely helped with how I perceived it. But I just think Italy is a treat. It's a beautiful country. The food is good. The nature is nice. It's just honestly, you can't go wrong. Like there's there's not a single aspect of Italian culture that I think that either of us really dislikes. Yeah, I would agree. I very much enjoyed our time here. So to kick things off, I think we'll do like a little mini segment just because I think it might be interesting. We get asked a lot of questions about how we're doing this. So if you have a question that you would like to submit, feel free to email it to us. Our email is takeofftotravelpodcast at gmail.com, and we can definitely include it in a future episode. But I think I'll start with people asking us how we meet our friends while we're on the road, because I know, at least for our parents, the way that we meet friends is totally crazy, which is basically joining Facebook groups that pertain to the place that we are. So for example, Florence, I'll search for digital nomads, Florence, or expats, Florence, or Italy nomads. And just basically I go in those groups and I find events that are going on or WhatsApp groups that are existing. And usually one of those two will have some sort of event and then we will go to that and hopefully we meet cool people. Sometimes we have kind of left going, hmm, not our people. But most of the time, we usually end up with like one or two people that we want to keep in touch with that we basically have as our friends for the month that we are somewhere. Yeah, we had a lot of success with it in Thailand. Not so much Vietnam. There was one night we went out with people that was Tet. It was so close to the end of the month, though, so it was hard to, you know, meet up with people again. They also weren't our age and that's not that's not a bad thing but they were significantly older than us but it was still a fun night in australia we didn't really meet anybody which was okay like we still had a great time but we we got really we really got back into it it, here in florence and we've we've met a group of three people four people some somewhere in that set range three or four people that we've seen a couple times now gone to dinner with really just it's been nice having that other face to go to. I love Olivia's face, but it's nice having another person to talk to sometimes. Yeah. A, a lot of times it's it's cool to meet other people because they almost give me perspective that what we're doing is really unique because living in it day to day, sometimes it loses the like newness. But every time we tell someone what we're doing, their enthusiasm and like, wow, that's so cool, makes me have like a little reality check of like, oh yeah, like I should be really grateful for this every day. And sometimes I just kind of lose that if we're in the day-to-day monotony, especially when the budget happens. So another question that has come up is our experience traveling 
around, whether it's buses, trains, all that kind of stuff. Do you want to get into that? Sure. Um, people just have asked me, like, how do you get around? Because they don't, we don't really have a rental car. So for public transit within a city, we usually either do Google Maps walking or Google Maps transit. And, and Google Maps walking is easy. Everybody knows it. Uh, but Google Maps transit tells you which buses or trains or trams or whatever that you should be taking and where you need to catch it and what your stop is, which is really helpful, especially if you don't speak the language and you can't ask the driver. So that's for like in the city. And then if we're going, if we're going somewhere that's outside of the city, I'll usually use an app called Omeo that compares ferries, buses, trains, and I think that's it. Flights, maybe I don't know. And basically lets you look at the different options that you can take and what time they leave and how long they take to get there and the cost. And so I would recommend if you're looking at going somewhere and you want to either go out of the city or you want to just kind of figure out what the best way to, is to get from one place to another, Omeo's a great app. I will link it in the show notes. So the last question we get asked is about avoiding pickpockets. So we have some really cool backpacks that we've talked about previously. We take Olivia's mostly, so I'll, I'll talk specifically on Olivia's backpack. Her backpack is slash-proof, so you can't easily get through it with a knife. There's also a TSA lock at the top where you can lock the uh, the zippers. We also, if I have something, personally, if I have something in my pocket, my hand is either on it or in my pocket at all times. I'm never going to take the risk of, of taking my hand off of it. And then, you know, two seconds later, it's gone. So that's how I walk around. We, we You have your backpack. You also have a purse. Do, I don't know the features of your purse if you want to. Sure. Yeah. So I bought a Travelon brand purse before we left. It has these zippers that clip onto a piece of metal at the end. So basically you can't pull the zipper without unhooking it. I hope I'm explaining that well. So that's really handy because Unlike with a normal purse, where a pickpocket could just walk and unzip it and I would have no idea. These are kind of unusual, and I like to think that I would notice if someone was kind of messing with the zippers on my purse. It also has what's called an RFID blocker. So if your credit card has a chip where you can like tap it, other people have these machines that basically can come and tap your bag and steal your credit card information. So my RFID blocker prevents that from happening. And also slash proof. So just those three things make me feel really secure when we're walking around, even if we're in a big group of people. What was the name of that again? It's called the Travel On Bag. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. Okay, so those were some questions we get asked. Now let's move on to culture shocks. We cook pretty regularly for dinner here in Italy. One thing that has stuck out to both of us is the fact that there's no measuring spoons. So no tablespoon, teaspoon, quarter cup, half cup, third of a cup, cup. None of that. There's also no direct translation for those in Italian because they all cook by weight, not by volume. So they all use the scales. So there's not even a translation for the word measuring spoon in Italian. So we went to the grocery store and we we asked for measuring spoons because the lady's English was pretty good. And she had 
no idea what we were talking about. We just got a blank stare back, which mm-hmm. was such a weird experience. I even pulled up a picture and showed it to her yeah. and said, do you have this? And she said, we don't. And then she said, and I asked, what do you call it? So that I would know what to ask for the next time. And she said, there isn't really a phrase. Wild. Another thing that really stood out to us is that the milk and eggs don't always have to be refrigerated here, which is just crazy because can you imagine leaving like milk out at home? It would go bad so fast. I'm still paranoid about it here. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about it. I was reading a short thing about eggs, about like how Americans wash their eggs to prevent salmonella and the Europeans leave them which keeps the coating so that they can be left out. I'll try to find an article about it and link that in the show notes as well because I find it really interesting, but it's just definitely something that jumped out at me when we went grocery shopping the first time. Yeah, another thing that is specific for here in Florence is that, or really the Tuscan region, their bread doesn't have salt in it. And when you don't know that and you take a bite out of bread, there is obviously something missing it does not taste like normal bread and the reason they continue to do that i think the reason they did it previously because it was just expensive salt was expensive back in the day but now they do it they continue to do it because according to them it just it brings out the flavors of whatever you put on the bread it brings out those flavors we tried that all i taste is the no salt bread there could be this beautiful like spaghetti sauce on it. I only taste the, the no salt bread. That was something very interesting that we found. Yeah. I also thought I would throw in here. It's not so much a culture shock, but just something that I thought people should know when coming to Italy. These are things to avoid in your restaurants if you're trying to pick somewhere to eat. And that is if there's somebody outside the door of the restaurant that's like, beckoning you to come inside and like, here, try this, try this. Do you want a table for two? That's probably not a very good restaurant because if they're having to market themselves like that, chances are the food's not all that good. Also, if the restaurant is in viewing distance of any kind of tourist attraction, also probably go ahead and give that one a pass just because they think that they can get by with lower quality food because of the view. So, The food might not be terrible, but it is definitely not going to be the quality that you're going to get elsewhere. Or if it is, you're going to pay out the nose for it. Yeah. The uh, things that aren't actually Italian food. Something that surprised us, really I've heard rumors of, like rumblings of, but Alfredo as a sauce is very American apparently. You're never going to get a cheese-based sauce. There is The closest thing that we found um, is the Casio e Pepe. Um, and that is a cheese and pepper sauce. It's very good, but it's not Alfredo sauce. And there was a sign in our cooking class that we took that said there were three rules. And the number one rule was do not ask about or talk about Alfredo sauce. <laughs> so maybe if you want to get on the bad side of an Italian cook, you can t- ask for Alfredo sauce. Yeah, right after you break the noodles in half and put them in the pot. <laughs> Another thing that we thought that we would share are some good things that you want when you're looking for a gelato spot in Italy, and that is basically a place that serves their gelato out of steel containers where you can't see it at all. Our food tour guide told us that the way that authentic gelato is made, you want to keep air out of it 
for the best flavor. So if you see a gelato spot that has heaping piles of gelato with big cookies and colors and stuff in it, it's probably not super authentic. And if you want like the highest quality gelato, just look for the ones where you can't actually see it. Something that really surprised me. I am not good at foosball. I'll I'll put it out there. Foosball, not my best bar sport. You know what? It's actually my best bar sport because if I think about darts, I am awful at darts <laughs> and pool. So, you know what? Actually, probably my, my best bar pub sport, people in Italy take it so seriously. I have not bit, felt so inadequate playing any type of sport for a long time until I got destroyed in foosball by two Italian men. I literally think that those guys practice. Like, I think they... I think I was their practice. (laughs) Yikes. I will throw out that the types of Italian coffee are a little bit different than what we have at home. If you ask for a cafe, you're going to get an espresso shot. And if you want what's closer to what we Americans think of as black coffee, you're going to want to say an Americano, and that's just adding water. If you ask for a latte, you're going to get a glass of milk. So that doesn't really exist. If you want um, coffee with milk in it, you can say a cappuccino in the morning, or you can say a macchiato after lunch. But evidently, you get dirty looks if you order a cappuccino after like 1 p.m. PDA. In my head, Italy, very Catholic country. The amount of PDA I have seen in this city is mind-blowing. We were walking down the street, and just to our right, there was this bench with this couple. This girl, and I'll keep this as PG as possible, was on top of her boyfriend, making out. His hands were wondering. It was a full show, let's call it. (laughs) Very much a spectacle. But this isn't a unique experience. We went to, I went to a park with one of those friends that we met up with and I, we were talking and just to my right, there is this couple laying in the grass on top of each other, just going at it. And so for such a Catholic community, I did not expect the amount of PDA I saw. Yeah, absolutely not. Another thing that we had to get used to was the times that they eat meals here. Breakfast is at what I would consider like a normal breakfast time, but lunch is anywhere from like 12.30 to 2.30. And dinner, the earliest restaurants even really open at 7. Yeah. But I would say they don't even really start to fill up until closer to 8. And you can eat dinner all the way from probably until like 10 or 11 at night. And then the last culture shock that we want to talk about was cover charge. And this is apparently something unique to Italy. But when you go out to dinner and you sit at a restaurant for dinner, you get charged somewhere in the range of 2 to $3 a person just on top of your bill. So do not be surprised when you go to – even in Rome, it was in Rome too. So Rome, Florence – I'm assuming other places because it was in Luca and Pisa as well. Mm-hmm. You will get charged for sitting at the restaurant. So it is not a scam. They do it for everyone. So don't be surprised. Yeah, it usually does include bread. Mm-hmm. 
But whether or not you eat the bread or not, you're getting charged the charge. Yep. Okay. And then we wanted to round out Florence with uh, do's and don'ts of Florence. So um, why don't you start us off? Sure. One of the things that I had heard a lot about before coming here was that we had to go to Mercado Centrale, which is a two-story building that the first floor is like a sort of grocery, like markety type place. And the second floor is almost like a food court with Italian food. We went there and immediately thought, wow, this place is full of tourists and it's kind of overpriced and overhyped. And I honestly kind of think I stand by that because I think we went back a second time and just, and it wasn't bad, it wasn't awful, but it's just the prices were higher than most other places in the city. There were tons of English speaking people just like wandering around probably because it's become a tourist attraction. So I would say if you want to go to like a market market experience, check out the Mercado Santo Ambrosio, which is over by the Santa Croce Church. So probably like a 15-ish minute walk. We were there today and they just had like a farmer's market outside with lots of Italian people buying their oranges and their vegetables and just like all kinds of like meats and produce and whatnot. How much was one kilogram of strawberries? Two euros for a kilo of strawberries. That's 2.2 pounds of strawberries for two euros at this place. It was crazy. We didn't buy them because we have no way to store them, but you can get some pretty good prices. The the thing I want to talk about and you're going to laugh, is the best sandwich I've had and the worst sandwich I've had. The best sandwich I have is actually right outside that San Ambrosia Market. It's called Simmel Street Food. It is a five euro panini. It is decent sized. Straight up the best sandwich I've had in Italy and like on this trip, I think it's the best sandwich I've had. The worst sandwich I've had is Atlantico Veneo. I will fight anyone who stands up and says that that is a good sandwich. It is overhyped. The wait for the line is at least an hour and a half long. And it is a below average sandwich, in my opinion. And it is the most popular sandwich place in Florence because apparently 20 years ago when TripAdvisor was starting... The owner, smartly for them, paid for thousands of reviews, thousands of five-star reviews, and it became one of the highest-reviewed places on TripAdvisor, period. And so everybody goes there. Good for them. Good for the owner. He's making a lot of money. I think there's even a, a, a version of this restaurant in New York. So it is an international company at this point. It is overhyped. Do not go. There are so many better places. Yeah. Semmel Street Food is really good. And then the other one we went to was E, like the letter I, Fratelli. That one was also good. I don't think you like that one quite as much as you like Semmel Street Food, but E Fratelli is like right in the heart of everything. Yeah, I think we caught that as a, at a good time. That line's pretty decent too. We didn't have to wait in the line, but I would much rather wait in that line than I would wait in the the other one and i forget the name because it's so gone out of my memory al antico veneo yeah i will then talk about some of the best restaurants that we've had we have three that we thought of the first one is a place called trattoria anita and that's 
a very traditional Tuscan restaurant, one of the places that you can get the three-course meal for a fixed price. So we've been there a handful of times. I think it's 14 euros for 14 three euros courses. A Plus the $2 cover. Right. Never forget the $2 cover. But it's really good food, and it's a very cozy atmosphere. The food has always been really good. It's good sizes. You get a ton of food for 14 euros, and I just thought it was really good. That's the place that has the roasted potatoes that we talked about last episode that we love. Honestly, those might be the best potatoes I've ever had in my life, period. They're very good. <laughs> Another restaurant we highly recommend is a place called Afe di Baco that's over by where we are living, and it's a pizza place. But it's another one of those spots, just very homey atmosphere. The pizza is very good. The wine is very cheap. And honestly, I I don't have a single bad thing to say about that place. It was a very good experience. And lastly, another traditional Tuscan restaurant that is across the river from the historical district, but not so far over as us, is a place called Ristorante e Taroki. And I will write all three of these in the show notes because I'm sure I'm butchering them. But that's another good Tuscan spot. Uh, they don't have the three-course lunch, but they have good prices and good food. And uh, if you've heard me in a conversation talk about a really good calzone, it was from this place. It was one of my favorite ex- food experiences while I've been here. And then the last thing we wanted to talk about were the the best gelato spots, or the, the last thing of the do's and don'ts of Florence were the best gelato spots. So there are two that have that traditional, you know, tin hidden under the tin, no bright colors, all that kind of stuff. Riverino was has been, I think, our favorites in general. There's a place called Vivoli, which was recommended to us by a friend. We we really enjoyed that one. So those two, great gelato. The third one does have the gelato out and displayed, but it's still really good gelato. It's called Perque No, Why Not, which is a clever name, I think. And we, we've we really enjoyed that one, too. Yeah, the gelato here has been the equivalent of my Thai tea obsession when we were in Thailand. Like, I literally, anytime we're going anywhere that there might be gelato, I'm like, so, is today a gelato day? Okay, so... We kind of already gave our overall review of Florence, but just quick synopsis review. Out of 10, I will give it probably an 8.5 or a 9. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I, I've had a great experience. How long do you think that people would need to dedicate to go to Florence? I think if the only thing you want to do are the museums and a couple restaurants, you could probably spend four or five days here. But I have very much enjoyed what we've done. Slowly going through all of the little neighborhoods, finding a restaurant in that neighborhood, trying the local gelato spot i really do think 30 days in florence is very doable for for a trip i agree with you i just don't necessarily think most people would have that much time i kind of think if you are a big museum person and you want to devote nothing but museums you probably would need four or five days but if you're somebody who enjoys a good museum but also wants to do other stuff like, for example, going to the wine and cooking class or like taking a day trip somewhere, I think four to five days is probably perfect for that. Because then you can hit a couple museums, you can check out Florence and the river and the Ponte Vecchio, but you can still also go out and see either Luca, Pisa, Tuscan region, yada, yada. Yeah. Okay. And we want to wrap up this episode with our expectations for Madrid. 
I'm not sure I want to get you started on your expectations for Madrid. I can see the smile on your face. It is cheek to cheek or ear to ear smile. What is your expectation for Madrid? I feel like I should go second because I've already no, been. Go, go ahead. I just think Madrid's going to be a whole lot of fun, partially because it's nostalgic for me. It's where I studied abroad, but also because it's just a really cool city. It's very young. Like it feels very fun. The food is great. It's even cheaper than Florence, so we can do a ton. It's gorgeous. Like all of the buildings are just so magnificent and stunning, but not in like an intimidating way. I could probably talk your ear off. I probably have. So I'm going to go ahead and stop right here. What do you expect out of Madrid? I am very excited for all the jamón and the tapas and any other food thing. You've The Tito de Verano and really any other food thing that you've told me about the uh, the potato thing, the tortillas. And the churros. And the churros with the chocolate. I'm very excited. You, you've, you've hyped up Madrid so much. I'm so excited for it. I'm excited to have my built-in tour guide. Everywhere we go, she goes, oh, I'm going to be, oh, I've been there. Look, that's where I was. So I'm excited to experience Madrid with someone who's been there, but also is still looking forward to exploring more than what they've seen previously. Yeah, I definitely don't feel like I saw every part of Madrid because I was a student and I was in class so much. But, And I also think it's probably changed in the last six years. So there's definitely going to be new stuff that I never even heard of. All right. So thank you so much for listening to us ramble on about Florence and a little bit about Madrid. We are so excited to get there. Our The next episode will be us from Madrid. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. And if you have any questions that you, that you want us to answer on the podcast, be sure to email us at takeofftotravelpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot an email to us. We'd be happy to respond. Have a good day, guys.